Praise God that he allows us to worship him. All right. I'm sitting, uh, looking at my notes for this morning's sermon. Last night around 4.30, I'd actually finished the notes by then, but I was, when you're going to preach, you get full of this and you just keep working it over in your mind over and over and over. And I'm sitting there last night and uh, I got a text. And um, I want to share it with you. Uh, it was from Manny D'Souza Jr. Uh, Manny D'Souza is in charge of our youth ministries around here. And uh, this is the message I got from him. Two boys, two girls profess faith in Christ at camp. Yeah. I get a lot of texts. That was a really good one I got there. I love it. Loved it. Uh, volleyball madness in the house with us this morning. All the teams are right here. Yeah. They're here every week, but this week they're all kind of clumped up together, so I thought I would mention them. They're going to have a little uh, crazy time here after services uh, over in the other building for a while, before ice cream social, before everything else that's going on today. We are in our series still on what are we doing here? What are we doing here? And I titled this sermon, We Are Here to Equip and Be Equipped. And so um, that's going to come out of Ephesians 4. But I wanted to read something to you in, out of Acts chapter 20, verses 25 through 32. And this is Luke, who wrote the, the book of Acts, has recorded Paul's warning to the elders at Ephesus as he's departing. Remember that scene, he's down leaving them, getting ready to go on, get on a boat and leave away from Ephesus. He'd been there for a while, and the scene is one of great sorrow, tears and that type of thing. And, uh, but this is his warning to them. And now, behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Quite a statement. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, you notice he says, I know. He doesn't say it might happen, this may come to happen. No, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That's what he wrote to the elders as he left Ephesus. We see throughout Scripture these kind of warnings. Paul was really good at it, warning them. We see in Galatians that after he left there, the Judaizers came in and they started to say, who is Paul that he could tell you that Christ is the only way? It's Christ plus the Jewish way. Oh, no, 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 no. And we all remember the story of how Paul admonished the people there, rebuked them and admonished them. 
But it leads us to the passage that Paul wrote a little bit later in Ephesians 4. And um, yeah, let me read some more of Ephesians 4 besides what you have on the board. We'll go to verse 7 of chapter 4. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And then the parenthetical statement of 9 and 10. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And then we get to our passage. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. From whom, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Blessed be the word of the Lord. It's from that passage we'll be speaking this morning about being equipping and equipping and being equipped. At the end of the 19th century, heading into the 20th century, William Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army, was asked what his concerns were regarding the church going forward into the 20th century. This was his response. In answering your inquiry, I consider that the chief dangers which confront the church in the coming century will be now remember, this is the 1900s that we're going into. The chief concerns will be this. Religion without the Holy Spirit. Christianity without Christ. Forgiveness without repentance. Salvation without regeneration. Politics without God. And heaven without hell. Well, I don't need to tell you that we're past the 1900s, aren't we? We're actually in the 21st century now. We're 125 years removed from that statement. Has any of what he said come true? That's why Paul warned us multiple times about the wolves that would come in and instruct and teach a false gospel or teach an untruth. False teachers would come in. And then the warning about even those in his acts warning to the leadership, even those amongst you, they're with you right now. They're going to rise up against what we've taught you. 
I've lived long enough, been involved in church long enough to see those things happen. I've seen it happen. So we find ourselves looking back at a William Booth statement, but I find myself looking back even further into the scriptures where God warns us of these things. I never would have imagined, I just couldn't imagine it, when I was 14 years old and I first came to Valley Bible Church and we were down at Holy Ghost Hall down here in Pinole and renting a building and going to Sunday school classes on dirt floors, learning the truths of grace, the true doctrine of who God is and what the church is supposed to be. I learned that in a little building that would fit like over there. But I never would have imagined that 50 years later we would have come so far away from where we should be. Never would have imagined it. The only hope we have, the only hope we have for the future is if we have godly men given to the church with gifts that are given to the church that are not afraid to preach the truth. What we see out there in the United States and all across the globe, we see visible forms of churches, but nothing for the soul, just emptiness. Coming together without preaching the word of God, without preaching the full counsel of God, without being faithful to the word, it's going on, people. It's what got me into preaching. At the age of 50 years old, I changed venue completely. Always involved in the church. Been here since I was 14, 50 years. But it's what put me in the church. It put me in a ministry. It put me in a pulpit. As I read a book that described what was going on within the Christian community. People are not being equipped. Churches are not being equipped for the service to maturity. They're immature. False teachers are coming in. They have no defense against them. And as I read a book that Pastor Phil Howard gave me, I remember reading, and I'm, D.A. Carson was the author, and I remember reading it and thinking, what do you mean no one's teaching the truth? What do you mean we're losing the battle in our churches? What? what? you got to be kidding me. And I remember saying to the Lord, well, God, if no one else will preach Christ, I will. I will do it. Little did I know that he would actually take me seriously on that line. Because he kept reminding me then for a few years after that, remember you said, remember you said, and he was right. I did say it. And so here I am, 15 years later, preaching. Craziness is what I say. But you've got to answer the call when God calls you. So I've answered the call. Some of you, to your chagrin, some of you enjoy what I do. But one thing you'll know for sure, be, be sure of this. I will not speak untruth. I will bring it from this book. 
It will come from here. Please, if you ever hear me not bringing it, if you can prove to me that I didn't use Scripture, please come and tell me, because I will correct it. The authority is in the Word of God. The sufficiency is in the Scripture, not in my mouth. God forbid the Valley Bible Church become just an environment, a structure that looks like church, but we forget who God is in the process. Oh yeah, that's why we're doing five E's. These five E's were given to us in 1986 by our founding pastor. He had come to a spot in his walk here in his ministry. He said, Lord, if you don't give me a direction of where I'm supposed to go, I don't know that I can stay. And he gave the Lord 40 days, or the Lord gave him 40 days to figure it out. And out of that 40 days came the five E's. We're going to exalt him. Everything we do should exalt him. We've already preached on that a little bit. We talked about evangelizing. All of you that are believers in Jesus Christ, you should be evangelizing someone. Telling them the good news. We'll get the big word out of there. You need to be telling people the good news of Jesus Christ. Snatching them from the fire. We are going to equip you so you can do that. That's our job. But to evangelize. And then to unfold and now to equipping. And on to enlisting you and back to exalting. That's the series in, its, in a nutshell, as it were. The Bible speaks to the world that we live in today just as it did in the first century to the church in Ephesus, just as it speaks to the church here right now in Hercules, California. Excuse me. False teachers then and false teachers today, they do exist. They exist all over this country. The danger today is what the danger has always been. Pastors today are in danger of succumbing to the notion that the key to their ministry in the next generation, the key to the church in the next generation, is to make the church less churchy. That's what got me into saying, i got to preach then. Because I heard that what they were doing is they're taking Christ and they're saying, yes, we understand that Christ is the only way to get to heaven. But we, once we've got that, let's put him in the corner. Let's set him over in the corner now. And we'll talk about whatever we want to talk about. We're going to hybrid the church. We're going to make it a little bit about a rock concert. We're going to make it a little bit about going to the movies. We're going to entertain you. Oh, if you're here to be entertained... Find another church, please. Mm -mm. Find another church. There's nothing more entertaining in my mind than the Word of God. They know that people are complaining, the, young, the younger guys, the, the churches that are trying to be hip. They know people are complaining that the church is just outdated. The church is just outdated. You got to get some new stuff going on. Find another thing to say. Quit telling us about that Bible. Somebody write a book about the Bible. We'll talk about that book instead of the Bible. If all you do is read books about the Bible, why don't you read the Bible? Get in the book. 
You want to be equipped? Yes, God gave the gift of these different men, these different categories, these four different categories. We'll talk about them in a minute. Or how about this? The church just isn't relevant today. It's the most relevant book there's ever been. And it will continue to be relevant long after we're dead and gone if he tarries. Or how about this one? The kiss of death to every teacher. It's boring. It's boring. For me to have to sit and listen, it's just so boring. All I can think about is who can I text during your sermon right now, Larry? Because you're so boring. Oh, I might be boring, but the Word of God is not. And I will try my best to stay in it. How about it's just not fun? It's just not fun. I've heard that one before. Church is no fun. Just sit there. They won't even let us, you won't even let us bring coffee in the big building. You know, like, like, what's wrong with us bringing coffee in here? How come you won't let us do that? I'm like, I don't know. Check with the ushers. I don't know why we don't let you bring coffee in. So we get all those things going on, all the modes and formulas and, and church growth ideas and how to make the church grow. The last time I checked, it's not my job to make the church grow. Am I, is that correct? I think scripture teaches just the opposite. That's God's job to make the church grow. My job to preach the word. My job to try and equip, to teach. A whole generation is buying into all kinds of things, tons of things in the church, things that we never imagined in the church. We're trying to decide is scripture really sufficient? Is, is Scripture really everything that they make it out to be? We subdivide it. We subdivide the church into generational things. Instead of making it multi-generational, multi-ethnic, quit dividing the church. Bring it together. That's what it should be. That's why I love having kids in here. Some of you parents don't love it so much because you got to watch them the whole time. But you're their parents. I'm just a pastor, and I love having them in the room with us. But we subdivide generations. We got the millennials, we got the Generation Z and X and Y and B and whatever else. The baby boomers, and we categorize everything. I thought the church was a family. Is your family multi generational? Mine certainly is. You know what? My family, not everybody's the same age. And I don't divide them all out. Well, you kids go over there. Don't be near grandma and grandpa because you don't match up age-wise. Are you kidding me? Get over here on Papa's lap. Get over here. Let's talk. God didn't intend the church to be this dividing up everything. Come together that you might encourage one another. You think children might need to be encouraged? If they're part of the body, they do. Ah, too, too, too uh, convicting. What we're doing is we're adopting and adapting to the habits, dress, music of the current surrounding culture. That's what the church is doing. We're not supposed to be like the world. 
We're supposed to be different. If you think that that's bad, that you're different, that they recognize you as somebody different than them, praise God they recognize that. You might be actually living the Christian life if they recognize that in you. If you can hide at your job and no one knows you're a Christian, you're doing something wrong. Here's a statement I heard. If a church is to be truly successful and useful to God, it must be unlike anything else that we find in life. It's got to be different. So why do you see churches trying to act like the world? Doesn't make sense. Someone's not equipping them properly. That's why I'll fight against fog machines on the stage. Uh uh. No. Just sing some gospel music, please. Sing the truth. That should be enough. You know what I've heard for years? The Blue Book is old stuff. How many of you know what the Blue Book even is? Oh, yeah, that's the old stuff. Can't you find something more contemporary and new? Well, I'm going to tell you what. Hold to God's unchanging hand seems to be pretty contemporary and new in my mind still. It was old when we wrote it in the book 50 years ago. And guess what? When I was 14 and 15, I didn't want to hear anything but them blue book songs. Now I'm 64. I still want to hear those blue book songs. Now there's still some good news music. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we shouldn't do new music. Bobby, don't get nervous over there. All right, that's my rant. Let's start into this passage a little bit. First of all, Christ gives gifts to the church. He does gifts to you individually so that you might be able to minister one to another. There's gifting in that way. But according to this, he says, and he gave some. He himself, Jesus Christ, gave gifts to the church. And there's four categories of him here that he points to. Two of them I don't believe are currently going on today. Don't get me wrong. The apostles and the prophets in the early days of the New Testament are in the church still. They're just not alive in the church anymore. And what the apostles wrote is what we look at in, the, in this Bible. So we're still got an advantage for listening to what they said. Amen? But I don't believe they're for today. I don't believe we have any apostles running around. I don't believe we have any prophets running around. Now you got, you know, you got some people that confuse a, a pastor teacher that preaches like I'm doing as a prophet because I'm exposing the word of God to you. I think that's just teaching. I don't think I'm a prophet. Definitely, and listen, New Testament prophets were not the same kind of prophets that you had in the Old Testament. They did prophecies. They were very learned people. And the Holy Spirit guided them along. But they didn't necessarily, they weren't writing scripture. That was the apostles that were doing that, okay? So those two, I won't get in, man, if I go there, we'll be here forever. I want to get to the second two categories. The evangelists and pastor teachers. And I put pastor teachers together. If you notice how that's written, and this is true to the language, he says, and some, he gave some apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors. And you notice he doesn't say, and some teachers. He did the conjunction and tied 
pastor teacher together there. That's what he did, okay? So when you see that, you go, pastor teacher. And the word for pastor is shepherd, a shepherd who teaches. Let me ask you something real quick. Do you think that's important that we have shepherds and teachers? Well, obviously, Christ thought it was important. How important was it on your job when you, the first day that you went to your job, how was it, how important was it that you had somebody to instruct you on how to do the job? That's pretty important, wasn't it? You got to learn how to use a nail gun so you don't put a nail through your hand. You need somebody to show you how not to do that, right? Or put a nail through your level, your brand new level that you had. My son's going, shh, don't say nothing. You need instruction. You need people to teach. You need, and God, and God knew that. So he says, and he gave, and, and it's Christ himself. It's his own personal gifting that he did. The evangelist that he's talking about there is not the kind like you think of like Billy Graham as the evangelist, you know, where he went to on a big, you know, a big uh, conference thing or seminar or whatever you want to call it. That's not what he's talking about. Nothing like what we think of today. They were basically traveling missionaries. The evangelists of that day were traveling missionaries used by the Spirit of God. Paul himself was very indicative of what he, his life was. He was definitely an evangelist. Now, he had moments where he pastored, but for the most part, he was going around to different places, sharing the gospel, planting churches, and just keep, he just kept moving. That's what he did. That's kind of evangelist that he was talking about here. And, we, and I think we have some, some very uh, gifted men in this area, in our church. I do. I think there's some men in here. They can't talk to you five minutes without bringing up the good news of Jesus Christ. They just can't do it. They don't know how to do it. Because that's the gifting God gave them. And guess what? We need them. We need them desperately. And so, but listen, listen. Even though he's given them that gift and he gave them to the church, that doesn't get you off the hook for being an evangelist. You need to evangelize people. Right? Didn't we just talk about this about, I would say, three weeks ago? Because I preached three weeks ago. Talked about you're the ambassador of Jesus Christ. You are to be his ambassador. Individually. Not my job. It is my job, but it's my job independent of you. Now, we'll train you how to do that. We have, we have men in the room that can train you 19 different ways to share the gospel. Why? That's all they think about. That's their gifting. And God gave them that gift, and then he gave them to the church. They operate better in the church and with the church than they do separately. And then the pastor teacher. And I, I have a few quotes here that I'll share with you. Martin Luther said this about the pastor teacher when it comes to teaching. He says, God lives in the preacher's mouth. God lives in the preacher's mouth. If we lose the voice of the pastor teacher in the church, we lose the voice of God. Sounds very self-serving because I happen to be one of the preachers, but it's the truth. The picture of the amazing humility of God, Luther said, that God, although he is everything and everywhere, chooses to hide himself in very human words. He brought himself down to us. 
He brought it down so men like myself and Todd and Tim and different ones that are teaching and stuff so we could speak it out. And it would be understood as the voice of God coming out. I don't think myself as God at all. Don't get that wrong. No, no. I'm just an instrument in his hands. When I... I've said it before at the, at the risk of repeating myself, which is pretty common the older I get. Um, I want to be, when I approach the pulpit, this is my prayer, every time I'm going to preach, God, I wish that they wouldn't see me. I wish they wouldn't hear my voice. I wish they would hear from you. It is my desire that they hear from the voice of God. It's my desire that I be a speaker box that you put on the pulpit and you hand the microphone to the living God of the universe and let him talk through the man to you. I just make myself available to be used by him. That's all I do. Now, there's a whole lot more to preaching than just come up here and be a speaker box. You've got to do a lot of studying. and You've got to do a little sweat. And that's okay. I'm up for that. Never ran from work. Calvin said it this way, God consecrates the mouths of his preachers so that he can make his voice heard in their words. When you leave here today, you shouldn't think, the expectation of the preaching and teaching of the Bible is far more significant than just listening to somebody just giving a lecture. Oh, God, we've got to search through this thing for 45 minutes, and you'll be lucky if it's only 45 minutes. Oh, okay, we're just going to listen to Larry get up there and he's going to raise his voice. And uh, It's more than that. It's more than that. It's not a fireside chat. We're not here for me to give you some pep talk. No, we're actually here discovering that when the Word of God is faithfully taught, the voice of God is really being heard. That is why you have heard me say that about the speaker box. You've heard me say it. I wish I was a Bose speaker. I'm not. But I'm still a speaker box for him. For me to do anything else at this point in my life would be wrong. I have to fulfill what he's put in me. I believe that there's a crisis within the church today. And it's not the only thing that I think is the crisis, but it's one of the major things. In pulpits across the church, I think the crisis is this, that you have men that are filling the pulpit who either have a lack of or a loss of confidence that the Scripture is the only authority and that it's sufficient for everything. The scriptures are sufficient for all things. They're the authority over your life. And what happens is as we move along and we go from generation to generation, we start to say, well, the scripture doesn't talk about this or doesn't talk about that or doesn't talk about this. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. 
It doesn't specifically tell you you should buy an Apple computer or a Mac, you know, or a, some other one. It's not going to tell you that. We understand that, but it gives you everything you need. And if, if I come up here and I am going to present the Word of God to you, but I don't believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, or I don't have a confidence that it's sufficient, or the authority of it is, it's the only authority that I have. If I don't believe that, guess what's going to happen to you? It won't take long that you won't believe it either. I love the story of Phil Howard telling me, I've heard it multiple times, I probably know this story better than him now. But him talking about when he first started preaching. He was 15 years old when he first started. Couldn't even drive. But he had a drive in him that the Lord put in his heart that he needed to be able to preach. So he started at that early age. And he spoke and he spoke and nothing would happen. He just felt like nothing was happening. And my grandfather, his dad, would drive him because he couldn't drive himself. And his reward for driving Phil to these speaking engagements was a little bit of ice cream at the end of it. They'd give him an offering, you know, he might get five or ten dollar offering, which was a lot of money back then, kids. And he would take my grandfather and they'd have a, an ice cream together on the way home. And in the denomination that we were in at that time, or that Phil was in at that time, it was very charismatic. And so we didn't think we'd preach very well unless the fire fell. The Holy Spirit had to light the room up. And so Phil would get done and he would get in the car and my grandpa wouldn't say a lot to him. But one time, he went to Napa. Been in Napa, he was speaking at a little church. And he spoke. And the fire fell. It fell. And he got back in the truck with his dad and they're headed over to get an ice cream. And my grandpa said to him, you did good tonight, son. He's like, yeah, dad, I was going to talk to you about that. What was so different tonight? I've always studied. I've always prepared. I always got ready, I thought. He says, well, son, what you've been doing before this is you've been trying to get them to catch on fire. And tonight, you caught on fire. And when you catch on fire, they want to get next to the flame. If I came up here and didn't talk the way I talk to you, I'm sorry if you don't like my system of how I talk. This is just who Larry Howard is when it's time to preach. The Word of God does something in me that says, I'm going to be emphatic about it, and I'm going to say it like I really believe it. Because I do. I believe every word of it. Yeah. Oh, you should applaud more than that. You should be thankful that Jesus Christ gives a gift of pastor, teacher, and evangelist to the church. That you might be equipped. It's a weird subject matter because I feel like I'm talking about myself. And I am. But I'm not the one that gave myself the gift. He did. And I have to fulfill it. Todd, don't stop preaching ever. He put a gift in you. You gotta, you gotta fulfill the gift in you. 
The problem is, is that younger men are filling the pulpit and they're more concerned about what people think about them. I don't care what you think about me. I'm going to preach the truth. The best I know how. And I happen to be in a spot where I'm helping decide who's in the pulpit. And if there are going to be men that we choose to be in our pulpit that are afraid to speak the truth, they won't be in our pulpit very long. He wants to be liked more than listened to. He's more concerned about being popular amongst the community and the culture. And if that's what you want, you'll give way to the truth every time. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to equip you. How sad would it be if I was more worried about what you're thinking? You know what? What a tragedy it is in the church that we tell you that you need Jesus Christ and we don't tell you why it's so important that you believe in him. We don't tell you the results if you don't believe in him. Because you know it's not popular today to tell people that they might go to hell if they don't place their faith in Jesus Christ. Not might. You will go to hell if you don't place faith in Jesus Christ. You see, I like to be able to lay my head down at night after I preach on the pillow and know that I've done what Jesus Christ asked me to do. And if I have to tell you, there's a horrible place waiting for you, and the absence of God is the worst part of it. He talks about the fire and all of that of hell. He did that just so you'd have an idea. But really, the true hell is being separated from the Father and from God. The purpose of the gifts, I must move. Well, we see it in the passage, the equipping of the saints. He says that in the next verse, right? After he says, I've given these, these different categories of uh, leadership to the church, then he says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain in the unity of the faith. So he did it for, okay, going to equip the saints. Why? For the works of service, so we can build up the body of Christ, so that we can, uh, un, until, and look, we're going to keep doing that until this happens. Verse 13, until we all attain in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, we're going to keep doing what we're supposed to do until we start to see that happen. That's called maturity. Until you become mature. We're going to continue to do the measure of the stature to which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And then we see results after that. For works of service, building up the body of Christ. And look what, what happens. Then we will attain the unity of the faith. What is the faith? That's the body of the revealed truth that makes up what the Christian teaching and the foundation of sound doctrine is. When I first came to Valley Bible Church, we, talked, we taught doctrine all the time. All the time. And we do it all the time now. And we're going to keep doing it. To the building up of the body of Christ. And then we attain these things. Unity of the faith. Knowledge of Christ. You've got to attain the knowledge of Christ. That is this. Deep knowledge 
And this is how you attain the knowledge of Christ. You get deep knowledge through faithful study of the Word. Faithful study of the Word will cause you to be obedient to it. The third thing you need to add there is a lot of prayer. A lot of prayer. I seldom study the Word of God where I don't pray asking God to show me what it is I need to see. What is it you'll show me? Listen, I have no complaint about you reading through your Bible. Read through your Bible. Read through it. Every year you should read through it. I read through mine three times a year. I'm on a little program where I get through it three times a year. I'm supposed to do it four, but I get through it three. I love that. There's a general sense of reading and getting an overall feel for what the Bible is talking about. But there's nothing like when I get deep into study where I take the Bible, set it right next to me, start to read it, and have a pencil and a paper and go, huh, well, okay, so it says there the result of the attaining of the unity of faith. Huh, I want to look that up. What does that mean? So you start to study deeper. You get into the book deeper. And that leads you to spiritual maturity, sound doctrine, authentic loving. As a result of that, becoming a mature man, becoming mature in Christ through the attaining of the faith, the knowledge of God, I, to a mature man. So guess what? As a result, we are no longer to be children. Once you become an adult, you don't get to be a child again. Amen? How many of your wives feel like your husband is a child? Don't answer that. Because sometimes we still act like children. But you shouldn't. Once you become an adult, you should be an adult. So as a result, we are no longer to be children. Look what happens to children in faith. They get tossed here and there by waves. And carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness in deceitful scheming. That's why you have to be equipped. That's why you need shepherds amongst the church. That's why we need elders. That's why we need pastors. Is so that you don't get tricked. You don't get duped into something. You ever watch? How many of you during, uh, I asked this in the early service, how many of you during COVID? Watched a little bit of, you know, televangelists on TV a little bit. Any of you? Yeah. I I watched some of them until I realized they weren't telling me anything that was worth listening about. But you know what's amazing to me? They're on TV. They're not speaking the truth at all, and they're still on TV. They have a form of godliness, but they're far from it in reality. It's a very empty, shallow thing. They've been caught up by these kinds of men. Because they weren't mature enough to understand sound doctrine. So if you don't understand sound doctrine, get in the book. I told him in the early service, as long as I'm preaching, which will probably only be a few more years, you're going to hear me say it over and over and over. Get in the book. Learn him in depth. You can't obey somebody you don't know. Now, the results. Don't be like children. Speak the truth in love. Ah, speak the truth in love. 
I want you to contrast that statement with the verse before it. You got false teachers who aren't speaking the truth and they don't love you. They don't. They love themselves. They're tricky. They're treacherous. They're deceitful. They're scheming. How do you think they stay on TV? It's not cheap being on TV. Someone's paying the freight. You know who it is? People that have fallen under their spell. They've been duped. They've been tricked into thinking that these men are telling them the truth. They believe every wind of doctrine. Speaking the truth in love, this is a, a scary thing. We misquote this quite a bit. We misuse it quite a bit. I want to tell you off, so I use this passage to do it. Well, I'm just telling you the truth in love, you jerk. Well, the Bible says truth in love. So that's one side. You got the truth keepers. Well, you know, the only true word of God is the King James. Oh, really? I thought it was the NIV or ESV or NASB or whatever one you want to read. Get to reading one of them, please. So you have that one. And then on the other side, you have the people that are just the love crowd. Well, I don't want to say that because I love them. Oh, really? You're going to give the truth up because you love them. Huh? So I don't want to tell my neighbor, my brother, my sister, my cousin, whoever it is, I don't want to tell them that Christ is the only way and that if they don't place faith in him, they're going to land in hell. I don't want to tell them that because I love them. That's the opposite of love. It's the total opposite. You have the good news. Why won't you tell them? Why aren't you in a deeper study with the Lord getting to know the fullness of Christ? Why aren't you measuring up to the stature of Christ? He says the result of maturity is doing those things. And when you do it, you grow up in all aspects, all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. As you mature, you grow into the what he wants you to do. He's not saying you grow into his head. Don't get that physiological thing going on. He's saying you're following after what he wants. You're growing up into what he wants for you. As you mature, you get closer to him. From whom the whole body is being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part. I want you to hone in on that. The body of Christ does not reach maturity until all of the individual parts are working together. My foot can't be over there and me stand very well. It's got to all be together working with me. And that's what he's saying there. Then he says, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. In love. What is the most important thing that the world sees in you? Love. It's the most important thing they see. But you still have to be truthful with them. But when they come in from the outside world and they look at you loving on each other, they're like, man, what is going on here? It's a, it's a direct revelation of who Christ is. 
that he saved you and he put you in a relationship with other people that you can love. Doesn't mean you'll agree on every little thing, but you're supposed to be doing it in love. So I had a couple quotes here. If I can, yeah, they're right here. I said Paul Bunyan earlier, and I'm sorry for that. It's actually John Bunyan uh, wrote Pilgrim's Progress. He said this of Christians. When all their garments are white, the world will count them his. When you are seen as white-garmented by the love of Christ, the world will say they belong to someone different. They don't follow the same people I'm following. But look at what the skeptic said. Skeptical German poet Heinrich Hein said to the Christians this, You show me your redeemed life, and I might be inclined to believe in your Redeemer. How do you get their attention? Love. you got to love people. You know what? I think I'm a lover of people. I love people. Some of you drive me nuts. I still love you. You know who you are. <laughs> Don't wave your hand at me right now, please. Um, no, we're, we're commanded to love. It's the one commandment that Christ really drove home, that you love one another. It's part of the maturity process. You know what maturity does? It says, I love you in spite of the things that we don't see eye to eye on. I do. There's people in the room, I, I, I could, hardly any of you I agree with completely. You find that to be true of most relationships? How many of you are married? How many of you have been married for 25 years? Come on, raise, come on, raise your hands. So you've been married 25 years. And, and you and your wife or you and your spouse, you see everything exactly the same, right? All you husbands shake your head, yes, I see it exactly as my wife. No, you don't. No, you don't. But you, you don't stop loving people, though, because of that. I said I was going to make this shorter. didn't happen. This is important that you realize this, though. Maturity... The maturity that we're talking about here, who does it come from? In verse 16, from whom the whole body being fitted together. Whom? The whom is God. God is one who puts the whole body together, fitted, makes it mature, makes it grow into what he wants it to be. Maturity comes from the Lord, not from your own efforts. Now that sounds contradictory when I say you've got to study the word of God. In the study of Word of God, He'll speak to you through the Word, and then you'll mature. It's still coming from Him. According to the proper working of each individual part, every part does its share according to God's design. This, right here, Ephesians chapter 4, is the best church growth document there is. Read all the books you want to know about church growth. I've got one right here that tells me how we grow. We equip the saints. They become mature. They start to go out and equip others. They become mature. Pretty soon we got a bunch of mature saints running around, and you don't have to have as many counseling sessions with the executive pastor. Amen? It's there. It's there. It's in the Word of God. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to adhere to the Word of God. If we do that, I just think God might bless it. You think so? You think if we adhere to the Word of God, He might bless it? He might, it's not a might, He will bless it. 
He will bless us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that I don't have to come up with some plan on how to grow your church. The plan's been here for over 2,000 years written in this book. We just have to pay attention to it and, and be obedient to it. So thank you for the word. Thank you for the truth of it. Thank you for uh, the leadership of Valley Bible Church, the different men that you placed in leadership for this time, during this time of uh, the history of Valley Bible. We pray that you will continue to guide us along, guide the leadership of Valley Bible Church. May we equip, and may those that we equip become equippers themselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, thank you.